0: is possible
2: welcome to reloaded Monday everybody we got episode 125 coming at you with Charles and Charles came on to tell some fascinating stories that he's been through including a time where he saw what seemed to me like a shape-shifting witch I hope you guys enjoyed this reloaded Monday episode let's get to it okay I'll reload it
3: this was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed but no one was supposed to talk about it
2: I saw
4: three Long, bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear.
3: When he came over to me,
0: dude, he slithered over to me.
3: And this giant comes out of the cave, and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves. He's got a spear. In one hand, and he's running really fast. And Spears, Dan, holds him up like this. Somebody else, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically
4: decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12-gauge, and I blowed his head off.
3: I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over, and there are
0: two small, gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed.
3: I reached my hand into this bush and I touched air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster.
2: All right, guys, well, let's get into this week's show. We have Charles coming on, and Charles has a very interesting encounter where he was out climbing in the woods around a bunch of waterfalls, and he comes across what he believes was a shape-shifting witch. So let's get to Charles right now.
4: would have been summer of 2015 um, and the area that I was going to is called Dismal Creek and I was hiking out past an area that we camped in but this I mean this hike is, is brutal and so I went up I started heading up and I was about halfway up this hill and I just I had a the sense that I was being watched from behind and I was like alright it was you know my mind's playing tricks on me And so I just kept hiking. So I'm at the falls, sat at the bottom, gonna sit down, have some water. And I heard a, uh, I heard just like a slight noise. Waterfalls will play tricks on your ears. uh, if You sit by them too long. Um, But I would not been there very long and I thought I heard a voice. And so I looked up toward the top of the falls and there was a woman standing at the top of the waterfall. You see that she was in a robe or a cloak, something, something of that nature. Um, and she had curly hair, gray hair, that was uh, about down to her shoulders. As soon as I looked at her, she turned and walked back off. So I decided I'm going to go up to the top of it. And by the time I finally get all the way up and I uh, hear then from the bottom, a voice. Heard it very clearly a second time. And it said, hey. It was really, it was a spectral voice. It didn't quite sound like a real human voice, and when I looked down, there she was again, like we switched positions entirely. And so I'm, you know, trying to figure out how she would have gotten down there past me without me seeing her. And um, and at the same time, I just got this sick feeling, just like a just a feeling of dread, like I saw something that I was not supposed to see. Um, or like I just was not supposed to be in that area. A very, very threatening feeling. And so I I had my pack on already, and I took off. Finally hit my trail, and I climbed the ropes as fast as I could get up them.
2: Okay, tonight I have a great guest coming on. We have Charles, and Charles, how you doing, man? Great, how's it going? I'm hey man, I'm doing good, man. I'm rolling today. I, you're my third interview, so <laughs> I'm I'm cooking along, man. I'm already my my gears are already rolling. But uh, you emailed me back in April, I think it was, and uh, you told me that you had a pretty weird experience out in the woods, and I remember reading it and just being like, wow. And I, I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't wait to get you on, you know. And so here you are. You're, you're gonna be telling me this story, and then you later on you're gonna talk to us about actually seeing some ghost-like entities and uh, your haunted apartment and things like that. So, um, that I, I think I also wanted to let you know that, or let the audience know that uh, Charles was on Sasquatch Chronicles. If you do want to check that out, uh, check episode three sixty eight. Uh, it's called. Boy Scout Encounter Sasquatch, episode 368. I don't want to go into it on this show because you've, we're already on Sasquatch Chronicles less than a year ago. So if anybody wants to check out, uh, Charles's Bigfoot experience, uh, go to sasquatchchronicles.com and search for episode 368, Boy Scout Encounter with Sasquatch. So Charles, all that said, talk to us about what happened in the woods that day because, dude, it sounds crazy.
4: Yeah, it was, uh, it was quite the experience. Um, so I'll give you a little background. Uh, at the time, <clears throat> this would have been summer of 2015. Um, I was working for a therapy company. So I was working for a wilderness therapy program, working with at-risk youth. And I was a backpacking instructor. Um, and <clears throat> a lot of the area that we were in is in Transylvania County, North Carolina, which is in southwestern north carolina it's um it's pretty far out there you got to kind of drive off the beaten path but it's not too far from Asheville. um and when you get out there you're just in it's called the land of waterfalls um that's what they call it it's because there's thousands of waterfalls documented and undocumented that run throughout um that county and, and all the surrounding counties as well and uh, sorry, I'm getting over a little sickness here. Um, but we were in Transylvania County. The area was right outside of uh, of the camp where this took place. So our base camp was tucked way out in the mountains at an old summer camp um, that was built in, in the 70s. I mean, this was an old, old camp. Um, this didn't happen with anyone else. I was alone uh, in this experience, but I parked my car in the parking lot that I would have for work. And hike out from there um, and the area that I was going to is called Dismal Creek and Dismal Creek is um, it's really far out you have to you have to really put in some effort to get to dismal Falls which is the waterfall that I was going to see it's a gorgeous waterfall but you have to work for it um, there are grades out there of um, when I tell people 70% grades they don't believe me but it's a hundred percent true they have to use ropes out there and Uh, It's not climbing or rappelling, but it's pretty close, about as close as you can get and still be, you know, consider yourself a hiker rather than a climber. Um, the, (laughs) this area was written about in the, uh, I believe the 60s or the seventies, a guy named Jim Bob Tinsley wrote a book called land of waterfalls. And he wrote about Dismal Creek as being, uh, I think he said one of the most foreboding places in the Southern Appalachians. Um, and I didn't know that at the time. If I had known that, uh, I might not would have gone out. Um, just because I had experiences before this in the woods, and uh, especially in that area. It's it's a weird place, and weird things happen. And uh, I tend to believe the old-timers a lot of the times when they when they talk about things like that. But I didn't know this until after I'd been out there and started researching the area that he had, had written about it in that way. Um, but we were going out, and, or I was going out, and I was hiking out past an area that we camped in with the students at the job that I was working. And you start the trail there up to Dismal Falls. I've never been before. I've been uh, up to the third waterfall from it. Because there's four waterfalls that you can hit, including Dismal. And the first three we would regularly take our students to. Um, the third of which is called Grotto Falls. And when you get to Grotto, it's, uh, it's a pretty waterfall. You have to hike kind of down into a a bowl, and it's almost like, uh, not gravel, but it's like scree rock in the bottom. Um, It's not like a big plunge pool. You can walk right up to the fall like a shower, Um, and it's kind of a, a trickle, like a curtain over the top. It's a pretty waterfall, but it has a really weird feel. And I wasn't the only one that said that. I had students all the time when I took them there that would say, it feels weird out here. And I would agree with them. Um, but right after grotto falls you start the real hike that goes up and over a ridge and then up and over another one and then you're down into the waterfall but this i mean this hike is is brutal and i do a lot of of hiking um and i can say this is one of the hardest ones that i've personally done to get to a waterfall It uh it starts just pretty much with crawling kind of through rhododendrons i mean you're almost on hands and knees at at certain points because the the rhododendrons and the mountain laurels are are so low to the ground and kind of over your head, um, almost like a little tunnel. There's parts like that. I mean, there's parts where you're just going up just through the forest at just crazy angles. And then you come to a point where the trail splits. And when I was at that point, I was trying to consult my map. I knew you could go downhill or almost straight uphill to the right. And looking at the map, it said that the dismal wall was the other way, which is a rock formation. It's a huge boulder with these, uh, this like blood red algae that grows on the side of it. And that's why they call it the dismal wall. Um, so I decided to go the other way because that's kind of what it looked like I needed to do. Um, and so I went up, I started heading up and I was about halfway up this hill, one of the steepest grades I have gotten to yet. And I just, I had a the sense that I was being watched from behind. So I looked back down toward the split in the trail and saw uh it was a foot, a cloaked foot is the only way I can describe it. Like if you saw somebody turn a corner and they were wearing a cloak and all you saw was the end of the robe and their foot. But it was going off into the bushes. And so I looked down and kinda, you know, had to blink, do a little double take. And I was like, all right. I was like, I'm, you know, I'm I'm seeing things. I was a little hungover. I was tired. And I was like, all right, it was definitely a trick. You know, my mind's playing tricks on me. Um, and so I just kept hiking. I didn't think a whole lot of it at the time. Kept moving. And I got up this just, I mean, it's just a dragon spine of a ridge. It was super, super gnarly to get up and over it, um, with rock scrambles and all this. And then down the other side of it, you have to use two rope assists to, get to the actual bottom otherwise i mean you're just going to slide in dismal creek so i get to the bottom of the creek and had to navigate some some slick rock i mean it's just it's tons of rock out there granite and whatnot that's covered in uh, in moss it's a dangerous waterfall to access but it, once you get to it it's gorgeous it's um total it's about 200 feet but the only sheer drop is 40 and then there's several hundred feet of uh What's called a bridal veil, that just runs down these cascading rocks. It's absolutely gorgeous. So I'm, I'm at the falls, sat at the bottom, going to sit down, have some water, and uh, I was chewing on some mint because mountain mint grows wild out there. So I sat down, I was chewing on some mint, and I was at the bottom of the falls, uh, sitting on a log, and I heard a, uh, i heard just like a slight noise that I thought it was more than just the water falling. Because waterfalls will play tricks on your ears uh, if you sit by it too long. Um, but I had not been there very long, and I thought I heard a voice. And so I looked up toward the top of the falls, and there was a woman standing at the top of the waterfall at the very top of the, the first plunge, the 40-footer plunge. And I couldn't see because she was fairly far away, a couple hundred feet. And so I could see, I could see her, I could see that she was in a robe or a cloak or something, something of that nature. Um, and she had curly hair, gray hair that was fairly long and curly kind of about down to her shoulders. And as soon as I looked at her, she turned and walked back off out of sight into the rhododendron bushes up at the top of the, uh, of the waterfall. And so I'm like, well, that's, I'm like, that's crazy. So I decided I'm going to go up to the top of it. So I do all this rock scrambling and I mean, just slick, slick rock. Can't find a trail. And by the time I finally get all the way up uh, to the point where I'm underneath the first plunge, so I'm like standing where the 40-footer is hitting down at the top of the Bridal veil, and I uh, hear then from the bottom a voice. heard it very clearly a second time, and it said, hey, that's all it said. Hey, and it was really, it was a spectral voice, really hollow-sounding Um Distorted, it didn't quite sound like a real human voice. Uh, and when I looked down, there she was again. She was down where I had been when I first saw her at the top, like we switched positions entirely. And I mean, it took me 45 minutes almost to get to where I was when I saw her the second time. And so I'm, you know, trying to figure out how she would have gotten down there past me without me seeing her. And, um, And at the same time, I just got this sick feeling, just like a, just a feeling of dread. Like I saw something that I was not supposed to see, um, or like, I just was not supposed to be in that area. A very, very threatening feeling. Um, even though it was from presumably an old lady. And so I, you know, I had my pack on already and I took off. I found the, the creek bed and took back off toward the trail. Um, to, to avoid the slick rock, I was trying to get out of there quick. So I'm just crashing through the, the bush and finally hit my trail. And I climbed the ropes as fast as I could get up them and, uh, came down the other side. And when I crested the other side of that ridge, I just started running down and I went back past the, uh, split where I had initially seen something move into the woods, ran past that. And then I ran <clears throat> on down the hillaways down you know down these steep trails so i'm looking pretty fast down don't have a lot of control um it's just kind of like what we call a holler run down south I just run through the hollow as quick as you can run and jump over things it's fun unless you're running from something <laughs> um so i'm you know i'm running down and i came around this big boulder i mean this thing's like the size of a house almost it's huge and when you first come up you come around it and it's a blind corner And when I came back around this thing, I almost ran into her. She was standing right there in the trail on the blind corner around this rock. And I mean, I went down. I went down hard and I rolled. And when I came up, my back was to the boulder and she was standing right over top of me, just looking at me. And I mean, it felt like an eternity that she was standing there, just staring at me. Probably was only... 10 or 15 seconds but I got a good look at her and she uh, she wasn't haggard looking or anything I mean looks like a fairly normal old woman that you know would have been really attractive you know in her youth and all this and, um, but she was wearing a cloak very clearly it was a robe or a cloak and she had gray hair and her eyes were absolutely striking um, but they were terrifying they were just for as old as she was, or seemed to be, I mean, she she seemed that she had to be eighty plus. I mean, she was old. But her eyes were very, very youthful. And the her irises were so so light blue that they were almost white. You you could barely see them against the uh against the whites of her eyes. But they were there. Um and that's what I remember more than anything about it was was the eyes and they just kind of caught me until I was able to get my feet under me. And I hopped up and kept running. And she never broke gaze the whole time. She watched me from the time I sailed to the time when I got up and ran away. Um, and she just watched me go. And so I ran down the mountain and I mean, I don't think I stopped for the the second mile. I'm not a runner. You know, I was going downhill though. So I was just, just trucking as far, as far, as fast as I could get from, the area and i finally got kind of back into the the last half mile or so so an area that i was familiar with definitely and felt all right so i slowed down and i caught my breath and i just started walking and um i got got to a point it's a down tree that you cross every time it's just i mean it's a landmark for that trail um and i got over that tree kept walking a little bit and i turned another corner. And there was a bobcat sitting in the trail, which is entirely out of character for that animal. They don't do that. You'd you'd be lucky to ever see a bobcat in your life. I've seen one and I've spent, you know, over 10 years hanging out in the woods um on a regular basis. And I didn't see one until two years ago, you know. So this bobcat sitting in the middle of the trail, just sitting on its haunches and it's looking at me. And I'm looking at it, and the first thing I noticed is the eyes. It had that woman's eyes, the exact same ones. They weren't cat eyes, you know. They were human eyes, and they were hers for sure. The same, that same really light shade of blue. And she was just looking at me. I looked at her, and uh, you know, I told her, started talking to her. You know, I said, I said, look, this is a beautiful mountain. I said, I'm out of here. I was like, I won't come back, and she walked off into the bushes again, into the rhododendron. And I took off. I got in the car and left. I never did go back out there.
2: Your assumption, I'm assuming, is that she morphed into a bobcat, right?
4: Yeah. I think it was a shape-shifting witch.
2: It's crazy because of how she covered ground so fast around you. I mean... The, right from the point of climbing up to where she was, and she's down where you were, to you running away, and she still gets ahead of you. You know, it, it's like it, that—that's crazy. And and the way you describe the eyes, I mean, uh, I—I've never seen anybody with eyes like that, and I find it very, very fascinating. Uh Have you ever heard of like uh uh like skinwalkers, things like that? Have you ever considered that maybe she was a skinwalker, or do you think that she was just a straight-up witch that was able to? you know, transport, transport fast and, and, you know, change her body.
4: Well, interestingly enough, uh, my girlfriend is actually Navajo. Um, she grew up on a reservation in New Mexico and I talked to her about it. I've talked to a couple of her family members about it and they don't think it was a skinwalker. Um, and I tend to agree with them just because that seems to be more of a native thing. And very much more of a Southwestern thing. Um, This though, this area was, that I was in, was heavily settled by the Scotch-Irish in the early colonial period. period. So um, I think it would be more conceivable that it was just a witch, like a, you know, I don't even know how to describe it, but like a, you know, it was like an old witch. Yeah. Like you talk about from the, the Salem trials and that type of thing. Um, and I think that I think she's been out there for a long, long time. Um, and I think that that's just, that's just her, her stomping grounds. The, the reason I think that is that there are classic signs of bewitching. And a lot of those happened at the camp that I worked at, which was right there. Like I said, at the bottom of that trail. And that had to do a lot with the horses. Um, horses and livestock, um, just all, as as all the old sayings go, when you go out and brush your horses every day, and you come back the next day, and their manes and tails are knotted, it's a sign of a bewitcher. And we would get that regularly with our horses.
2: She sounds like one of those Disney characters. That's the way, when, when you're telling this story, I picture one of those Disney character witches that have the, the, like, I don't even know if it's beautiful, but like, there's just something so unique. It's beautiful about the eyes. You know what I mean? The way you described it and the just honestly, dude, it, it's I, the only thing I could think of is like a witch that is able to do these things. And, and I, the way you described her eyes, I, I think you said you described them as they, they looked young. And I, right. I, I wonder, is there something that, you know, is like, maybe she looks, maybe she looks like she's in her eighties, but she's really much, much older than that. And there's something that she's doing to keep herself alive. And that's why her eyes look so young, you know?
4: And that's what I thought too, because I mean, there was, there was vitality in her eyes. I mean, it was like, I don't know. It was like looking into just the eyes of somebody that's my age, like in their twenties or something. Um, but, but the rest of her was, was old, visibly old. So it was strange.
2: I'm sure. I mean, I, I I would have been scared out of my mind to be honest with you. Uh, the, the woods are creepy enough to come across a, an old woman in a cloak that seems to move faster than me running. That's pretty freaky. Absolutely. Uh, do you think that maybe she was just protecting the area then?
4: Um, yeah, yeah. That's generally the sense that I got from it. Um, because yeah, I think she was making it very known that that was her area and you know, I don't think it's that, you know, some old lady was trying to tell me that she knows the trails better than me. It wasn't that sense of it, you know. It was just her being like, Hey, this is this is my grounds. Um, I know this area, get out of here. Type of deal. Um, but it it was horrifying. If she'd want wanted to, she could have done whatever when I was laying against that rock and just shocked. Didn't know what to do.
2: Yeah when you first saw her, you said that you just saw the foot and you mentioned the cloak and the way you said it at first, I thought you meant that, uh, whatever was attached to the foot was cloaked as in invisible, but that's not what you meant, right? That what you meant is that you actually saw a cloak, like a robe around somebody and you just saw the foot.
4: Exactly. It's yeah. Like if you were to just see one foot sticking out of a cloak, like someone is walking. Like what that back foot would look like extended, that's what it was. It was like a back foot extended with a cloak, and then everything else was just disappearing behind a big, thick grove of, of these rhododendron bushes.
2: At that moment, when you saw the foot itself you said that you were thinking that maybe you were a little hungover and you were just tired. Uh, were you really thinking that to yourself or were you, were you trying to explain something away to yourself that you really thought was real? It, did it seem real or were you just like, I, I'm just, I don't oh, know.
4: No, it seemed totally real. It seemed totally real. I mean, I, I knew I had seen it, but what, what was freaking me out was I couldn't hear anything. And out there, the, the leaf litter um, is so thick that, you're going to hear, I mean, you can hear a squirrel. Uh, you can hear an insect out there. If it's quiet enough, you can hear an insect in the, in the leaves. And this thing was walking clearly in an area that was covered in leaf litter, but I never heard a thing, which is what made me think that I had just like seen it out of the corner of my eye or something, even though I was looking dead at it.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, especially now that you're saying that you didn't hear anything, I mean, you would think, okay, that's just my imagination because I'm out here crunching around. Uh, anybody who would be out here would be doing the same thing. But then when you see her and her maneuvering, <laughs> and all of a sudden things change. Uh, have you ever told anybody else well, the story? And, yeah, and, I mean, go ahead, finish what you were saying. Um,
4: well, you know, I, I told this story, I've told it to a few people, um, told it just to friends and told it to family and um I ended up i didn't end up telling it to a lot of the groups of students that I had after that happened because I was there for another few months working there um, and told that story a lot around the campfire. but I have never taught anybody else who has been to that area and experienced anything like that.
2: I wonder how many people out there have experienced something like that though I mean, it can't be something common, you know having uh, an encounter with somebody who seems to maneuver their physical body in a supernatural way in the forest. Uh, I can't imagine that the experience that you had is a very common experience at all.
3: No.
4: And that's, and I tried for a while when I was living there to, to ask around, you know, in the nearby towns and all that. But, um, just to ask about, you know, weird things in that area, or I'd bring up dismal falls just to see if I got a response out of somebody. And i never did. I never got anything other than, Oh, it's a pretty waterfall. Hard hike, you
2: know. <laughs> yeah, hard hike. Yep, there's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> I mean, people are like, "Yeah, we never been up there because it's so hard, such a hard hike," and that's why she's there, you know. So it's yep. that's absolutely yep. crazy, man. I, I I remember reading that that story in the email that I was just like, "Holy cow! What an experience!" I mean, I know when I would go in the woods, especially as a kid, uh, alone. I would get these feelings that you're being watched, and I think a lot of those feelings and stuff are just because you, the woods are creepy, man. They they are a creepy place to be, especially by yourself when it's getting dark, or even in the daytime. And uh, I don't think that I was being watched by a Bigfoot or anything like that. Uh, but it's just you get these creepy vibes. Uh, what now that you're you've had that experience? Uh, have you gone into the woods since then? And if you have, even in that area, have you ever? Like had the feeling of just like, I I can't handle this. I can't be in here.
4: Um, no, I don't, I don't get that feeling much, um, because I'm stubborn and I really like being in the woods. So it's hard for me to, um, it's hard for me to stop getting deep into the woods just because I've had weird experiences. Um, and I, I just don't, I think they're part of being out there, those experiences, I think the uh I think there's something in the woods that's older than than time basically there's I don't even know how to describe it because it doesn't have a quality that we have words for it's a, it's just a it's a presence or some kind of an energy or something but it's older than people and it knows people really well and it knows how to manipulate people um and that's just the sense that I've gotten from being in the woods because there's so many things that's happened to me in the woods that are just Inexplicable.
2: Yeah, now when you experienced this, was this before or after your Bigfoot sighting that you shared on Sasquatch Chronicles?
4: This was after. Uh the Bigfoot sighting was in 2012, but that was in Minnesota and this was in North Carolina.
2: Gotcha. So you had the Bigfoot experience, then you have this experience, and you're still stubborn enough to still go in the woods. You, sir, are crazy.
4: I've had, I've actually, I've been stalked by hillbillies. I've been, I mean, I've had, I've had more scary things happen with real people than with the supernatural. I think in, in in the woods, it's while it's really scary to have an experience like that, a supernatural one, it's still there's still some degree degree of separation. It feels like between you and what you're experiencing, if that makes any sense. Whereas when a person comes up and is you know, trying to assault you in your hammock. That's a totally different thing because they're real and they're there. So I get more afraid of other people. I do carry a gun now. Um, During that experience in my Bigfoot, when I wasn't carrying a firearm at all, I do carry a firearm in the woods every time.
2: Yeah, I I do the same thing, man. I do the same thing. And I've never seen a Bigfoot. I've never seen anything in the woods (laughs) other than normal stuff. But I still carry a, a gun because there's crazy people in the woods and you come across a crazy person exactly. and you're coming across their territory. You don't know what they're going to do. And sometimes if you don't see them and then they see you, they'll stalk you because they're crazy. That's why they're crazy people. You know, <laughs> I, I live. Well, well, I'm not. Yeah. Go
4: ahead. Yeah, no, I know. It's. I just, I don't carry a gun for Bigfoot.
2: <laughs> no, I, I mean, I carry a
4: gun for, for bears and mountain lions and people
2: and snakes. Know? Don't forget snakes.
4: And well, we don't have any poisonous snakes actually I here in Colorado, not this part
2: anyway. <laughs> I don't care. I hate snakes. I see a snake, I kill. Oh, a snake. they're pretty good eating, though. I hate. Oh, I've never, <laughs> ha- I've never eaten one. I, I would eat one. I just never had the opportunity. But uh, no, I, I, I definitely, uh, totally hear what you're saying. I mean, I mean, if, if I came across a Bigfoot and it was being aggressive, I mean, my gun's not going to do anything, but I'll still shoot at it just for survival mode. Um, but oh yeah, totally, totally. But yeah, my main concern is snakes and people. And I live not too far from the Pine Barrens in South Jersey, and oh yeah, one of yeah. these days I want to get out there and hike around there and stuff. But there are people out there in the Pine Barrens that they they live out there and they don't leave there. That all they do they they are self sustaining people out in the Pine Barrens. You'll come across a house with no roads leading up to it, and people live there. It, it's really like you don't you don't play games. Like if you see a house out in the middle of nowhere, don't explore it. Just walk the opposite direction. Hopefully, they don't see you because they're. they're, (laughs) Yeah. Listen, if you live in the woods with no roads leading to your house, in the one of the densest forests in America. There's something wrong with you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> like, like <they're>, you <laughs> don't, don't mess with those people because they're not right in the head. That's why they're out there to begin with. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of crazy. I had this one guy on, on my, not on my show, actually. He was actually towing my truck for work because I, I had broke down the one day, got on the subject of what I do. And he told me, he said that he, uh, used to run around the pine barrens as a kid and he came across. Uh, a house on a couple of occasions where there are people on the front porch and they just looked at him like, what are you doing here? You know, they, they, it's like, they just looked at him like they were baffled and they're like, you need to go, you know? And so he just kind of moseyed along with his buddies. And then he shared another time where they were actually camping near a lake or a pond or something. And, uh, that this gigantic shadow appeared across the pond and, uh, their light, when they shined the light on it, the light, whatever the shadow was, like consume the light. It didn't like eliminate the shadow, but the light kind of got absorbed by the shadow. And uh, it, it, yeah, yeah. And this is my truck, just another guy driving my tow truck driver, driving me back to my terminal because my truck broke down. I was like, dang, man. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The Pine Barrens are a, a crazy place. And not to mention the Jersey Devil, you know what I mean? People talk about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, but definitely. But maybe definitely. whether the Jersey Devil is real or not, maybe... Uh, the Jersey Devil, just say tale has derived from people's real true-life experiences of this forest being just a haunted, creepy place, you know? Who knows?
4: Well, as a kid, I grew up uh, about 45 minutes from the Devil's stomping grounds
2: in North Carolina. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Got any stories for us?
4: Oh, yeah. No, mine is such a letdown. I actually camped in the middle of the circle and nothing happened to me. <laughs>
2: Well, yeah, I know. well, good for you then <laughs>
4: yeah, right I was like all right, that's fine. that's fine.
2: <laughs> well dude, uh, what happened here with the ghost settings? You said you actually had seen ghosts before, so what happened?
4: Um, well the first my first experiences with the paranormal as a kid um, and I was probably I don't know like six or seven. Uh, it stopped around 10. Um, I never really saw much anymore, but this was, like I said, it was at my great grandparents house and they lived in a house that was at one time, a plantation during the civil war. So this is really close to, um, uh, Bentonville battleground in North Carolina, which was one of the bloodiest battles in the civil war. Actually, it was a, um, or in North Carolina during the civil war anyway, Um, it was a big one there was a lot of casualties and it was one of the last as well Um, but anyway this was a plantation home uh, during the war and they acquired it uh, at some point in the I'm not sure 30s or 40s or something but anyway it had been the family for a bit so it was an older house Um, and we would go there pretty regularly uh, every few Sundays we'd go and uh, have lunch after church and all you know just southern tradition type deal and Um, and every time I went there I would have experiences because I was young enough that I would go out there more often with my grandma when she would go back because I would be with her a lot during the day sometimes while my parents were at work and so she would take me out there with her and you know we'd go and shell peas and chuck corn just do all the things that you know that you do with grandmas and uh, I would have these experiences at the house and um, the The one that I remember really vividly was this lady. And I always describe her like Aunt Jemima. She was a black lady. And she would be out in the the driveway area, which was kind of like the the backyard type deal before you got into the fields and the barn. And she would be kind of right out there in that front area. um, And she would do these motions where she would bend down and then she would stand up and reach her hands up. And I think what it was, it was the motion of hanging laundry. I didn't realize it at the time, but she would uh, she would be out there, <clears throat> but, and she would hum these uh, she would like hum these spirituals, you know, like like spiritual music. And I would walk by, and she would say, "Hello, child." And that's all she ever said was "Hello, child." Um, but she and she was very nice. I mean, she, very benevolent. Uh, was really sweet, and I didn't think anything of it. And I was so young. I thought she just belonged there when like she was part of the, you know, like she was a maid or something, you know? Um, sure. Because she was, she was hundred percent a physical figure. You know, she wasn't like an apparition, like a real person. Um, and so she was the one that I remember more than anything. Seeing was her. There was a kid that would, um, was a, a black child that would run behind the barn uh, like he was playing hide and seek and I could never find him. I never found that kid. Like I would see him he'd peek his head out and then he, he duck behind and run. I never could find him. There was a, uh, there was a man that stood at the end of the hallway in the house going toward the bathroom and he wore like a Colonel Sanders style bow tie with the tails that come down okay. and like a suit like that, like a plantation suit, basically. Um, and he would stand at the end of the hallway and he always just had this, just menacing glare. Um, and I assumed that was the slave owner. I'm not, you know, I don't know, but I would assume that's who that was. And I mean, these were all a hundred percent real as if I was looking at you in person. Um, and I just remember seeing these people and just thinking that it was kind of part of the house, you know, because I, I was a imaginative kid, you know, I didn't. You know, didn't have a lot of experience with ghost stories or anything like that. Not at that age, anyway. Um, and the, uh, there was even a ghost dog there, actually. There was a ghost dog that would uh, that would chase its uh, tail. But it didn't have a tail. It had a little nub. Um, but it would chase its tail out in the yard. And that's all it did. It would just chase its tail. And, um, and I, you know, I never said anything about it. It's like I said, I was a little kid. So it wasn't something that came up until way later in life. I brought it up to my mom and she told me I should tell my grandma about it. So I told my grandma and her jaw almost hit the table because she said that she had seen all of those same apparitions when she was a little girl growing up in that house. The old man, the lady, the little kid and the dog, the dog was hers. That dog was actually her dog. It was named Jack and it chased its tail so much it eventually bit it off. Wow. So I saw the ghost of her dog and the same apparitions that she saw when she was a girl.
2: (laughs) I don't know what to say to that other than, I mean, there's a lot of history to that property, obviously, because of the era it was from and what had gone on on it. And uh, it seems to me like it's got, uh, it's got some leftover stuff going on. I mean, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, do you think that this is like residual energy or do you think that this is like literally uh, pe- people who lived there at one time?
4: I, I definitely think it. Well, I think a little bit of both. I think it's, you know, definitely the residual energy of people that did live there. Yeah.
2: Well, I guess I should say, like, do you think that this residual ener- energy, do you think that the specific energy that's residual there, uh, do you think that has consciousness or do you think that that's a separate thing? <sighs>
4: that i don't know that's one of the ones i can't really answer because i never got an interactive response from anything it was almost like a uh like a pre-recording of something because it was always the, it was the same thing every time it was her going okay. through the same motions or him standing at the hallway or the kid hiding and the dog chasing the tail almost like it was stuck in repeat
2: Gotcha. So when like, she said, I think you said, hi, child, or something like that. Hello, child.
4: Hello, child, yeah.
2: Yeah, Like, so when she would say that, even though it was directed at you, it was always the same thing, like a recording over and over again.
4: Well, it would would just be one time. So I'd see her one time, and she'd say, hello, child, and she'd go back to doing what she was doing. But then the next time I'd see her, that's the only thing she would say. She never said anything different than that. It's not like she was saying it over and over, like on a skip. But right. But that was the only thing that she ever said. It's like that like an action doll. But that was her one line. Basically.
2: Gotcha. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Like so many questions. So little answers when it comes to this. I, stuff. Know, I
4: wish I had more to, to tell you, but I was so young. I don't really remember anything else.
2: No, it's fine, man. I mean, still a fascinating story. I mean, (laughs) uh, you know, lots of people experience these hauntings, especially on uh, Civil War era properties—properties that had actual battles on them, like Gettysburg. I just did a show a few weeks ago on Gettysburg, and you know, it's like that's one of the most haunted places in probably the world. I mean, it had one of the most bloody, if not the bloodiest, battle of the Civil War. A lot of people died there. A lot of people, and um, so bottom line is who knows who knows what's going on uh but i enjoy talking about it so <laughs> why don't you uh tell yeah, us Yeah, there's more battlegrounds
4: uh, we could we could do a whole show on those i mean it's oh sure even bentonville the one where this was near there are tons of people who claim that they saw um like lights and, and cannon fire on the anniversary of the battle if you go out there at night lots of people say you can go hear the cannon fire. do you um there's A lady, she's a reenactor, who said that she saw phantom campfires all the way down the trench lines, like dozens of campfires. And the next morning, there was no soot, no ash, nothing. I mean, there's, there's some weird stuff that happens out there.
2: Yeah, you know, you could literally do a TV series on just battlegrounds in America and the hauntings of them. I mean, there's so many stories. There's so many locations on these battlegrounds that are known for specific hauntings. I mean, you could do an entire season just on Gettysburg alone. Uh, and so, and then you got the Revolutionary (laughs) War, the Civil War. Uh, you know, it's just, we got even the, the, the battles between the, uh, people coming here and the Native Americans. I mean, there's just so much bloodshed throughout this country, uh, and violence that it's just, you could even, Extended to the ghettos of a modern America. And because a lot of, a lot of times, uh, especially like, you know, cities like Chicago, um, and, uh, cities from the past, like in the, I want to say it was like the early eighties, whenever, whenever, whenever in Philadelphia, I think they called them like the race wars or something like that. It was before my time, but like in Philadelphia, it was, it was a rough city back in the day when, when, uh, uh, you know, they had the real race, racist things going on where like people were getting killed left and right, white, black. I mean, there was just fighting and stuff like those kind of things, you know, like the, like you could do a whole season on that, you know? So,
4: Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: Anyways. Uh,
4: where Where's Ken Burns when you need him.
2: Right. <laughs> well, uh, before we, you know, get too far off course here, uh, why don't you just walk, walk us into that experience with that apartment that you said was haunted that you lived in.
4: Okay. Yeah. So, um, So this was also in North Carolina. This was while I was in college. Um, So this would have been between my Bigfoot experience and the experience with the witch. Um, This was, this apartment was in the town of Boone. I mean, it was like right in the middle of the town of Boone, but you had to go um, up to the top of this, not a mountain, but it was definitely a hill with several acres around it uh, of just woods. And so even though we were right in town, we were up on the mountaintop, kind of secluded. And, uh, there was a trail that would take you right down to the downtown area. It was about a, about an eight minute trail going down, probably 10 to 15 coming up, depending on how winded you're feeling that particular day. But, um, I love that place. I lived in the, the, uh, I don't know if I want to call it a guest house or. Anyway, it was a studio apartment that they had built onto the main house in the 90s. But the main house has been there since the 60s. Um, but I lived in the studio, which was off to the side. And we had a big backyard, um, which is the reason I liked it, because I had a backyard for the dog to to run around in. And that was new for her. Um, so that's why I tolerated the high rent. Um, the location was great. Um, and the woods around it were really really weird um i would go i'd be out there all the time because i'm you know, i'm a big outdoorsman obviously and how i would live a lot of that during that year that i was there was was by hunting in terms of like sustaining myself food wise so i'd go out and i'd hunt squirrels and rabbits and um you know whatever other small game i could come across and so i was i was out in those woods a lot if i wasn't in class that's where i was i was out in the woods with my uh with my air rifle we were in city women, so I hunted with a 22 air rifle. And, uh, <clears throat> so when I would be out in the woods, the only way I can explain it is like, like the, I don't want to say like a laughter of children, but like, if you, if you think about like a cartoon or a movie or something with fairies in it, there's this weird laughter that sometimes they'll do like a, um like a giggling sound. It's a flirty kind of giggle. And I would hear this when I would be out in the woods. And for the first couple of months that I lived there, I would be out hunting and I would hear these sounds. And at first I thought the squirrels were making weird noises, but it just wasn't. Cause I would, all the squirrels out there made normal noises that you would always hear squirrels make. It wasn't chipmunks. You know, it wasn't anything like that. There's not an animal out there that makes a giggling sound that I'm aware of. Um, and so you'd hear this pretty much any time during the day when you're out there. And none of the other people that lived in the main house could confirm it because they never even really left the house unless they were just going to do normal stuff. They didn't hang out in the woods, basically. Um, they talked about having experiences in the house, though, where there would be nights where they couldn't even sleep because of all the footsteps and the, the uh, just popping sounds and banging sounds and things would getting knocked off the countertops and they said that house was noisy at night um like poltergeist status noisy and i never stayed in there to be able to confirm that but that's what they talked about now my apartment itself was cozy i never had anything happen inside the apartment itself luckily um that was kind of my safe zone and uh but the woods around it like i said were highly active and um, I remember specifically a couple of nights where I had hiked the trail down to town and gone out to the bar with friends and coming back, it was dark. And you know, if you got enough liquid courage, you are like, all right, I'll hike back up in the dark. It's <laughs> right. So I remember a few times that I, that I hiked, you know, I hiked back up in the dark and the, uh, it, it wasn't giggling anymore. It was like something running around me in the woods like um but not like deer because deer deer will take off from you and they'll scare you but they're moving away. It was like if if you're hiking through the woods and it's dark and you've got you know not a great flashlight, so you're only seeing a couple feet ahead of you and then behind you it's like you'll hear somebody run across the trail. And then when you turn to look you'll hear it'll be in front of you. And then you turn to look and it's to the side. And it's like you were being surrounded as you were moving, basically, um, but it was fast. Whatever the sound was, I mean, it was moving quick. And it would go one way, and then it would come another way. And but it's like when it would run, you'd hear it crunching leaves and twigs, and then the sound would just be gone. And then you'd hear it start somewhere else, and it would cross you again, and it'd be gone. And that happened, I mean, almost every time that I walked up through there. But that particular seven acres of woods has, uh, I think like three or four oak trees that are over 200 years old. Um, they're historic oak trees. They're very, very old. And that's why that area was preserved. So it's old growth forest kind of right in that area. Some of it is, um, but really, really old woods right around that house. And the kind of culmination of events that led me to actually move out of there was, um, I was up one night, and at that time, you know, it's, it's college. You're regularly up late in, late in the evening, especially around finals time. And this was right around finals. Uh, I believe it was my, it was my senior year um, that I was living up there. It was right around finals for one of those semesters. It um, had to be December-ish uh, because it was snowing. It was like to the end of the Christmas semester. Um, it had just snowed up there probably uh, almost two feet. Which is significant for that area. Uh it's not unusual to get a little more or a little less, but that's that's a pretty big snowfall. For sure. Um, especially where the planet's at now. So um and that was this would have been in two thousand and twelve. Um this would have been shortly after I got back from Minnesota. Um and so it was, you know, it had snowed a good little bit. Throughout the night, it was about 3 in the morning, 3.30, and I was in my apartment. I was doing schoolwork on the laptop, and I remember looking at, and see, so it was like 2.43 or something. Um, but yeah, I can remember, I just looked up, and I looked at the time, and as soon as I did that, I heard the dog scratch on the door, because she would normally just be in the yard, and I would leave the sunroom door open for her to come into the sunroom where she could access the apartment door. and. uh So she came and she scratched the door, but not like frantically, not like she was freaking out. She just did. She does a normal little scratch, almost like a knock when she wants to get in. And so I let her in and she came in and laid down, which I thought was weird because that apartment got really, really hot. Um, And she's a Husky. And if it was snowing out, she was generally going to be out in the snow and she would sleep out there all night. That's just how they are as a breed. I mean, I'm a musher. I work with Huskies. They love the cold. And so I thought it was weird that she would come – inside and uh but I let it in anyway and decided to you know close it down for the night and I went outside to have a cigarette before I went to sleep. So I stepped out and I had my snow boots on. They weren't even laced but I had them on. Stepped out on the porch and I lit up and I was standing there. And I was just looking kind of out across the uh the yard. So we had a yard with a split rail fence and just across the split rail is where the wood line started. And so I'm looking at the wood line and just looking, the moon was super bright, um, because the snow clouds had parted. And so you could see the moon reflecting off the snow and it was lighting up the woods to where you could see the, you know, individual trees, basically. And so I'm looking out and there's this one big poplar tree that was just over the fence. Uh, and it looked like there was somebody leaning against it. Like you would see somebody with their hand flat against a wall and leaning against it, like with their legs kind of crossed, really casual looking. That's what it looked like, but it was a silhouette. So I could see the silhouette of a person leaning up against this tree and I'm looking at it and I'm like, all right, uh, like I've got to be way too tired. So I stepped forward a little bit and when I stepped forward, I stepped into a uh, like fresh kind of crunchy snow with dead leaves under it. And it made a noise. And when it made that noise, this guy took off from the side of that tree. And from what I could see, once he got into the moonlight, he was entirely naked and hairless all over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and had to be about seven feet tall, huge, like it just didn't even comp- I couldn't even comprehend it. And he ran down the side of the house out of sight. So, of course, I run in, and I grabbed my actual gun, my real rifle, and my spotlight, and I ran back out into the yard and hopped over the fence and was going to start looking for tracks. Because I thought somebody was in our yard, like, you know, like an intruder. You know, so I'm thinking, like, I'm in home defense mode, basically. And so I jumped over the fence and run out and um i find the tracks starting at the tree and they're barefoot tracks but they had to be like 13 14 inches huge barefoot tracks and so i followed the tracks all the way down the side of the house there was a little corridor probably of i don't know 14 15 feet of just kind of open grass that ran between the house and the wood line and then once you got to the end of the house the wood line just kind of picked up um so he he ran down that corridor and I followed the tracks to just where they stopped. And they stopped about ten or twelve feet from the wood line, and then they were just gone. Couldn't find where they picked back up. I mean, it was like the guy vanished, took or flew away or something. Um I don't know if it jumped into the wood line or or what, but I never found any other tracks that next day. Couldn't find a thing. Wow.
2: Wow. So you said that he was naked. Now, I'm assuming that you got a good enough look at him that you you know it was a person, right? I mean, like, or do you think? Well,
4: that- that's the thing. I don't know that. I couldn't. So I couldn't see. I didn't see any, any genitalia at all just because of the angle that he was running at. Um, but there was, no, there was not clothes on it. And it looked like a like six and a half or seven foot man that was just totally naked and barefooted. Bro. And, and hairless. I mean, there, there wasn't a hair on him. And that's the but, you know, which is not entirely weird. Boone is, Boone is a town that can be known a little bit for drugs, um, especially psychedelics. So it's not a real possibility that somebody was just out of their mind. It ended up on our yeah. property. But for him to be standing in the snow that comfortably in bare feet does not seem right to me. And that really was what struck me about it. And just with what all the other stuff that had happened up in that that stretch of woods, people didn't come up there. It's not a place that people knew about. You had to know where our trail was to even get to it, because you had to go behind a building. So, it's you know, it's and I did a lot of cutting on that trail even to open it up. So I don't think people were even using it really before I found it. But it was weird. It was very weird.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when, when you bring in the idea of drugs to the picture and stuff, I mean, dude, drugs do, do some crazy stuff to people, you know, like you see those videos online. Oh, you're,
4: you're, you're right about that. I mean,
2: that they're in the street smacking their face off a pavement deliberately and they're flipping around and it's like, they don't even feel a thing. Uh, so I mean, if somebody's tripping on something good, uh, I could totally see them You know, not even knowing it's their feet are completely frozen, frostbitten, ready to fall off. You know what I mean?
4: Oh yeah, definitely. But the the thing is, though, if it had been a person, it would make sense that I could find where they went, or at least which direction they got out. But the fact that those those tracks just ended, like it had been, like it had taken off
2: the tracks. I mean, you see, obviously, you see a good impression into the snow, uh, and. I'm sure you're familiar a little bit with what they say Bigfoot tracks look like, where it's like, say it's 16 inches long. Typically, it should be about eight inches wide. You take it and split it in half, kind of thing. Is that what you're looking at here? Are you looking at like a thinner footprint like a human's would be?
4: It was like a a human footprint. It was like if you took, it was like a 14 or 15 size shoe, I would say. So, like, you know, what a big basketball player would wear, basically. Um, And if you took his shoe off and was just running through the snow, that's what it was like. Okay. The gate was not significantly longer than somebody that size would have. Um, but the thing is, I mean, there just wasn't – if there was somebody that big on that campus, there's a chance I would have known about it because there's just – you know, it's, it's a small, small campus. So there's not, there's not a huge chance that I wouldn't have known he was there. And if I'd have known he was there, he probably would have been on the basketball team. Yeah, you know. So then, why would he be up in our yard? I'm telling you, this is a small place. Not so much anymore. It was when I was there, though. Um, But I mean, it's there's only so much room there for there to be a six and a half, seven foot guy, and me not have run into him in the six years I lived there.
2: Yeah, you know what, Charles? I'll tell you. uh, One of the patrons said. I feel like this guy is blowing his own mind, telling his stories because it's just like, cause it's true because hearing you tell your stories, you're just like, I still don't get it. <laughs> like, I still don't. No, get I, don't. It. I haven't. I, just, I still don't. Well, Charles, I'll tell you what, man, it's like, um, it's, it's one of those mysteries of life, man. I mean, there's a lot of things we don't get. Clearly. That's why we have the show, you know? And, uh, this, yeah. this is definitely, you know, one for the books anyway anywhere you come from i mean with your experiences uh, you've had some crazy stuff i mean the the witch in the beginning and stuff man i tell you it fascinated me absolutely fascinating and like i said it, it kind of takes me back to uh, just this idea of like almost like a like a a witch from disney you know like it's just uh just the way you described it man it just seems like one of those classic um witches that disney would dream up you know it's just it's
4: that's that's what it seemed like minus the minus the haggard face and the hunchback that's exactly what it seemed like
2: right now was she like a a, a large woman like she was she like overweight or was she kind of more uh no, in shape
4: no she was i mean she was very much in in good form and yeah i mean just definitely seemed like somebody that would that gets around the mountains a lot but i don't know anybody that can move that fast yeah. through that terrain
2: yeah. I mean, and that's the thing you got to think about. Especially not in a cloak. <laughs> right. I mean, the terrain is a big deal. It's not like you're on a an open track, you know, where you can just, it's nice and flat. I mean, you're talking about a terrain that's difficult. It took you 45 minutes to walk to, well, climb up there. And, uh, it, it's, that's something that, you know, should be noted. You know what I mean?
4: Yeah. And there's, I mean, as far as I'm, as far as I know, there's not trails up there that, that move around other than that one. I mean, it'd be hard enough to build the one trail to get out there. So how she was moving out there is a mystery to me. Well, I've got a pretty good idea that she didn't do a lot of hiking to move yeah, around
2: yeah. like that. <laughs> she she was an old lady that was stalking you out in the middle of the woods. I mean, that alone is creepy. Then not to mention how fast she was able to maneuver as an old lady out in the woods. It just it does it seems off, man. Seems off. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, man. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing these experiences, man. They they are fascinating, and I really want to thank you for that
4: yeah man it's cool to come on i uh first discovered your show through wes's show at the beginning of the summer and um i don't know i started listening i figured this would be the perfect place to tell it since i've not really told this one a bunch
2: well i appreciate it man i really do it's uh it's been a pleasure of mine man truly
4: absolutely It's, it's a lot of fun I enjoyed it
2: Well, that's a show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, go ahead and share the show around social media. That would help me expose the show to more people that might enjoy it just like you did. Also, if you want to stay informed with what's coming down the pike on The Confessionals, go to theconfessionalspodcast.com and sign up to become a subscriber to the newsletter. It's free, easy, easy and informative. Also go to youtube.com and become a subscriber. We're going to start uploading our shows to YouTube, and you can enjoy it in video format if you choose. Until next week, friends, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free, but first, it'll piss you off. Bye.
1: Let's Nail Salon and Grocery Store. Wait, she's at the Nail Salon and the Grocery Store? I'm at the Combination Nail Salon and Grocery Store. Groceries through Instacart, delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket?